0: Financial advisor Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October thirteenth, twenty twenty-two edition, and we are well into the fourth quarter. And today was a, a volatile day on the downside, and then the upside. We had a very interesting day uh, on the back of cpi data that was higher than expected and so the market said oh you gotta sell off and then it said no went the other way and for the average investor probably scratching their head a bit and maybe most of this year scratching their head on how to navigate these markets how to shield their assets how to invest for profit in a time where most assets are in decline. And that frankly is difficult. Almost no professional is up for the year. But it doesn't mean that you can't be better prepared for the good times. You're never, in your life, you're never gonna experience consistent growth every single year, every single quarter. It's just not a thing. It's hard for people to accept that, but that's the reality of the situation. And that's the first step in becoming a good investor is to understand the landscape, understand what to expect so that you don't feel nervous, uneasy, because you're in a situation that you didn't envision. And so that's my goal here each and every weekday is to try to help you understand the landscape of different asset classes, different investments, different opportunities, understand the risks of those opportunities, et cetera. So that when the risk does rear, it's ugly head, you're not shocked by it. You're not emotional about it, you know, for a decade plus with rates at rock bottom, it was always an environment where people were taking risk. They just weren't feeling the risk because you didn't have a lot of downside. That doesn't mean the risk wasn't there. doesn't mean the risk wasn't taken. And so going into any investment decision, any money decision with your eyes wide open is the first step so you know what you're getting yourself into. And that's what I'm here to help you with, is answering your finance and investment questions. And the phone number is the same, as always, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at chart And I've got a, pocked, a packed podcast for you today. I always struggle with that one. Now my focus point concerns the story behind this question. Is delaying Social Security smart in the midst of a market swoon? Is the standard advice still reliable, so we're gonna look at that. I have some other topics on the docket for me today. Uh One is tips, something that a lot of people got into, oh, it's inflationary environment, buying tips. Well, a lot of them were too late, and now the tips indices are down 13% this year. Why is that? Oh, we're in an inflationary environment, tips should be down, uh-uh, because you're not understanding the landscape, you're not understanding tips and how they work, and Uh, when you should buy them or not. And then we're going to look at the strong dollar and how that's pressuring us manufacturing in some ways. And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to look at, what was the other one I wanted to get to today? There's one other one. Oh, it was about, uh, inflation and it's squeezing profit margins. And we're going to look at all of that. Hopefully if time is permitting. Now, I do have some voice bank caller questions as well. One is on Boise Cascade as well as Nike. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, I'll take your live calls as well at 888 99 chart. Now, let's take a look at the market today. We had the CPI data, the expectation was 8.1%. It came in at 8.2%, just a, t- a tad over expectations. And the market freaked out in the morning. The market was down big and reversed strongly after the first about hour of the day and closed near the highs of the day, which was bullish in, in and of itself. And we uh, we closed up 92 points on the S&P. It's about two and a half percent or so. And the big question is, will we have follow through tomorrow? Tomorrow, if we can close above today's highs, that would definitely be a nice, strong indication that the, the market was, uh, this is a bearish or bullish overthrow is what we would call it. Um, now, when a stock's going up and everyone's loving it and the sentiment is very bullish and it has some good news and it gaps up and then it falls and closes down on the day, what we call that in the technical world is a gap in crap. They call it gap and crap, right? Gapped up and just, you know, bit the dust throughout the rest of the day. Today is an example. And what what that's an indication of in that case is that there's all the buyers are in. They're done, right? Everybody's going to buy. It's so bullish. And there's no more buyers left at those prices. Well, it's kind of what you got the opposite today. You had bad news that everyone was focused on was the inflation data. It came in a tick higher than expected. And it was down early in the day and what happened throughout the day? Well, the dollar got weak. Uh, you had interest rates come off their, their high levels and you see, you saw equities uh, really recover. So, and on high volume, uh, today, the highest volume we've seen really since June when we had the last low. So I think I've been saying this, uh, late September, early October market low, is very common from a seasonality perspective it's very common to get a low around this time and then you line that up with a sentiment and the fact that the market's going to front run a fed pivot and i don't know if you know this but the imf is getting together in washington today all the central bankers around the world are talking bank of japan bank of england ecb talking to each other about the stresses that the strong dollar has put on the system. You think that's not going to move the needle when it comes to Fed policy? I mean, you've already seen some talk about uh, caution on future interest rate hikes from the likes of Lael Brainerd, as well as, who was the other one? There's an- another Fed chair, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the other one, but there was another one that was talking about it as well. So you're starting to see a little bit of dovish talk. Uh, and then you have likes of, I believe it was JP Morgan or was it Bank of America talking about job losses uh, in the hundreds of thousands starting early next year. Uh, and so remember, the market is always going to move before you see the headlines. This is why most people lose money is because they wake up, they look on their app, they, they read their newspaper or whatever, they see the headlines and they trade on it. And that's too late. The market's going to front run it. And and this is the first strong indication that the market is going to front run uh, this Fed pivot. And But we'll see. We're going to follow through tomorrow. Okay. That was my take on today's action. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda, so give us a call on Invest Talk, 888 chart.
2: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways
1: to go from here.
2: When do I know the right time to take? Profit.
1: Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here?
2: And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
0: I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've
1: been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot.
2: Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want.
1: I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm
2: going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor, eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free. If you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz.
1: Hi, Steven, Justin. This is
0: Jim in Miami and I have a question about ESS Essex property trust. I'm looking at the chart and it looked
2: great pre-pandemic. It looked pretty good during the pandemic, and now it seems like it's tanking. I'm getting mixed information when I do my own research, and I was wondering if you could help me figure out if this is worth picking up at this price point. Thank you very much, and I'll listen on the podcast.
1: All right, this is Essex Property Trust. It owns a portfolio of 253 apartment communities, over 62,000 units and it is developed developing some new properties has some high quality properties here on the west coast in urban and suburban markets in southern california northern california and seattle so here's the issue is it's located in areas where the real estate market is slowing considerably especially north northern california uh especially seattle and definitely here in, in southern california so it's geographical reach uh, i think is is struggling uh, as more and more people are going to be moving towards the middle of the country where they're can still work from home where they have lower cost of living etc uh now that's more of a long-term thing uh but in general the real estate market is is weakening uh, and rental rates are no longer skyrocketing uh they're actually starting to show month over month declines now very minor but Uh, after years, uh, you know, two, two, three years now of just continually strong rental price growth that has turned. And you are starting to see that. uh, Remember that the market, once again, is front running that. Okay. Uh, And so I'm just not a fan of of this. Um, Let me look at its debt level. Not a terrible amount of debt, to be honest with you, based on the, the asset value. But uh, I'm just not a big fan of it. I think it's still relatively expensive. 15, 17 times enterprise value to uh, EBITDA. It usually doesn't bottom out till it gets to around 12 or 13 times. So I still think there's some uh, downside potential there. Uh, and I'm just going to pass on it. So I'm passing on Essex. And it's a long-duration asset. And you need to be wary of long-duration assets like uh, many of the REITs. So let's pivot over. Let's go to let's get two in a row. And this question came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hi, this is Lily from
2: Big Bear again. i um, calling in regards to the Nike stock, NKE. It's at about 87 right now. And just your thoughts: is it a good time to buy it? It's pretty low for Nike. Any comments or recommendations are appreciated. Thank you.
1: All right, looking at Nike, and they had some poor earnings last quarter, down 20% year over year, and earnings are expected to drop 21% this year, but then go back up 28% next year, but that's next year. And inventory, I believe, is up 64% year over year, and that's really the the, the big issue here is that uh, along with a lot of apparel manufacturers, they are choking on inventory, and nike's a great company and this is finally level i remember looking at this uh, six months ago or so uh, some uh, members of my team saying uh, what about nike you know it's coming down to you know 100 110 i said technically around 90 is is the first major support level and we've gotten there we've had a nice bounce so far and so to initiate a position here i'm not really against it i think nike is finally a bit cheap now could it get cheaper absolutely absolutely um so but but i'm starting to to like it to be honest with you uh 75 is the next major major support and that's where i'd get excited about it and now we're at 89 and change today so you're starting to get in the zone uh always hard to find the perfect bottom but uh this is the the first time in a while where i think nike is relatively cheap thanks for the call now it's an InvestTalk Thursday, and we are watching the markets gyrate up and down and try to find at least a near-term bottom. And as serious investors, I know you have questions for me in regards to this market, different asset classes, different equities, maybe bonds, maybe mutual funds, maybe ETFs that you're looking to buy, maybe mutual funds within your 401k. Our number never changes and it never closes. Invest talk at 888-99-CHART.
2: One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk Podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk Podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99 chart.
1: Now my focus point today concerns the story behind this question is delaying social security still smart and that's the standard advice for from most financial advisors or planners is to delay filing to at least your full retirement age if not longer and ideally all the way up until the age of 70 so that your benefits can grow eight percent per year and this is guaranteed remember that That's always something you have to consider, not just the nominal amount of of growth of one particular asset versus another, but also the volatility, the risk involved in getting that particular yield or that particular uh, increase in value. And so 8% guaranteed is nearly impossible to beat with any other investments right now, even with higher interest rates over the past uh, year or so. And then you pass that on to your spouse potentially, if he or she is not receiving their own uh, own uh, so- Social Security payout. Maybe your the spousal benefits are higher, which is, is which is common. And so, you know, there are new challenges, especially in times like these, for investor portfolios and even the Social Security program itself. Now, many new retirees think about calling a portfolio withdrawals, uh, especially if they don't have enough a, uh, safe assets to draw upon, instead. So what I'm saying is that a lot of people think about, oh well, I don't want to take out my investments. I, I rather take Social Security now, so I can keep my investments growing. The issue, once again, with that is, will those investments grow above the eight percent? What are the what are the Odds of it growing faster than that 8%. Decent. If it's all equities. Probably fairly low. If it has a significant number of bonds. That even in today's world. In good. High yield debt. You can make it 7%. Still less than that 8%. And so. So. How do you plan out this transition and when to take social security? Now stocks are likely to underperform that, that, that 8% uh, or likely outperform slightly once again, if there's significant risk r- risk there. Now there can be good reason to bring social security filing closer. One could be, you have shorter than average life expectancy. Maybe you have health problems. And maybe you just don't have other sources of funds to live off of. Didn't save enough for retirement. So each individual circumstance is a bit different. But in but, but you have to explore all the options so that you can delay if you can't. Now, people sometimes try to invest their way out of the retirement shortfalls and that often is a bad idea. And times like these are a good example of that. So you can do things like maybe pushing out a retirement date if you're very close to retirement. You can explore part-time work. I think that's probably the most beneficial all around for health and wealth and, and happiness. Having some type of work even in those retirement years can be very fulfilling and really help that plan overall you could also look at a reverse uh, mortgage now they're expensive so and there's age limits you have to be 62 or older but something to think about and it's just a reminder that proper portfolio positioning for pre-retirees and reti- retirees is very important because then you can be more nimble in markets like this meaning having some cash on the sidelines and you can start to live off that a little bit more than to pull from your investments. You could do things like dividend reinvestments, not doing that and taking that cash just to try to push yourself to take social security a little bit longer. So I still encourage that waiting till you're 70, if you can and exhausting as many opportunities, reasonable opportunities to, live comfortably but push that off as long as possible a lot of people have issues about whether social security program will have enough money and the annual social security and medicare trust report uh, says that social security trust fund will be exhausted by 2034 that's in about 12 years But what most people don't realize is that only about a fourth of the cost of Social Security program comes from that fund. Fourth. The three-quarters of it comes from payroll tax that's being paid every single day. So I know that's a worry for some people. I wouldn't worry about that. It's more about the timing and whether or not you can try to maximize that guarantee. Remember, it's guaranteed, which is very important. Now the next invest stock story behind this question. Is there a reasonable strategy for investing cash today in a bear market? So far, 2022 has been a difficult year for both stocks and bonds. And Steve will talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART.
2: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers invest talk eight 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 ninety nine chart
1: let's go talk to Noel in napa hey you noel
0: uh
2: good afternoon justin um yeah I'm still a holder of uh, b g s and I've had it uh, quite a while now and it's down fifty percent but in this market I'm not surprised and uh and I, I was reading up a little bit today that they, they've been selling some stocks, so that's probably a, a drag on the price, but uh, that's not going to continue, I don't think. And I'm, I, I love the handsome dividends thing, so I'm just going to hang in there with it. But uh, do you consider it a, a value stock? I, that's what I think of it as. Am I correct in that? And w- what are your thoughts?
1: Well, here's my issue with it. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the past, uh, few weeks and the rise in interest rates rise in the 10 year to levels that we haven't seen in years to, uh, levels that if you look at a longer term chart is a true breakout, uh, to the upside in rates, uh, is ravishing long duration assets. Okay. Now a long duration Mm -hmm. asset would be a 30 year treasury rate, treasury bond. That's one. You see that with TLT and IEF and, you know, the long term uh, treasury ETFs going down dramatically this year. But there are a lot of other types of long duration assets. Uh, The first one I think of is high growth tech stocks that aren't earning any money, where the cash flows that the market is expecting are years and years and years into the future. Right. Long duration. okay, as opposed to current duration. Now, for dividend-paying stocks, those often are very long-duration assets as well, meaning they're bond-like. Think of utilities, think of REITs, and before, when Treasuries were yielding 2%, a nice 4 4.5% yield on a utility stock was attractive. But now the 10 years yielding 4% and you can get 4% effectively risk-free. The price of the stocks of the bond, the bond-like stocks are going to have to go down unless yields are going to go up. And guess what? A lot of utility stocks don't have a lot of growth. Most of them don't. So what has to happen either? that payout has to go up or the bond price has to go down and has to yield something more like six or 7%. And BGS is another one of those examples. And it's actually a double whammy because they're so indebted. They, the cost of their debt is going to go up over time as they have to refinance, etc. And they don't really have a strongly growing business. I don't know if they have a plan Right, their, their typical plan is acquire. And it's been a good plan when rates are low. But that no longer the case. I think there's a good argument for that. So in a rising interest rate environment, I actually don't like BGS. I would sell it. Now, do I think we could get a Fed pivot a rally in long duration assets? I think that's certainly possible in the next three to six months, call it. But to me, that's a time to sell. You want to sell long-duration assets into that. If you truly believe there's a long-term breakout to the upside in rates, which as of right now, I, I think there is. So you'll be focused on companies that pay small dividends, 1%, 2%, that aren't nearly as correlated to the interest rates that have low debt levels. And BGS is not one of those. So I'm, I'm going to sell it. But maybe not today, but on a counter trend rally, I'd be selling into that strength. Let's go to Albert Alberto in San Jose looking at AMD. Yeah, hello,
0: Justin. Um, I've owned AMD in the past. Um, I know it's down quite a bit. There's a couple of headwinds with all of the band to Move material to China, so I was thinking about uh, maybe should I get back into this, or is or am I looking at should I look at something
1: else? I'm not liking the chip space at all right now because of the economic backdrop that we're in and uh, the geopolitical backdrop. What's happening, uh, like you like you mentioned with China with the Chips Act and reshoring manufacturing here to the U.S. AMD has what they do is they design chips. And they've done a very good job of key of, of catching up to intel technology technologically and taiwan semiconductor produces their chips or you know a third-party foundry mainly tsmc but if there are now geopolitical problems with that whole process how are they going to produce their chips same cost in the same way so and then you have this we're going into an overcapacity of chip production. I talked about this a year ago, about when everyone was talking about a shortage in chips. That was the exact time you want to be selling the chip stocks, because what were what was the industry doing right then? They were scrambling to increase capacity, just as there was peak demand in physical goods, and since then. What have people been doing more the economy has been opening it up and they've been want people wanting to travel and go out to dinner. And that means less money to spend on physical goods. And so you continue to see companies across the tech, the the, the hardware tech, hardware space downgrade their expectations for earnings. So not something I would be buying uh, in the medium term now dust clears, you get a better sense of where the chip space is going, then we can talk about it, but not now. Let's go to Ryan in Laguna Hills, very close to me, looking at LTC.
2: Uh, yeah, hi, Justin. Uh, just want to thank you and Steve for everything you guys have done. You've really helped me to kind of uh, move my portfolio away from a very tech and growth-oriented portfolio to something a little more, I think, reasonable probably for this uh, day and age. Um, I was interested in LTC. Just kind of came across it by chance, and I was curious. Uh, just your thoughts on if you thought uh, it was a, um, I guess PE wise, if it was at a good PE ratio for its industry, and just you know general thoughts on the uh, on the stock.
1: Thank you. I'm okay, looking at LTC Properties, and this is a REIT that primarily invests in healthcare facilities, and What's interesting here is it operates one segment that works to invest in healthcare facilities through mortgage loans, property lease transactions and other investments. Okay. And it is located. It's all of its businesses here in the U S and it uses, it's an active capital provider in the senior housing and healthcare real estate industry. So it owns a lot of pieces of these assets, but they don't necessarily actually run them, which is interesting here. Um, there's not a lot of growth to this business earnings expectations for this year and next year are coming down Uh, their debt levels are pretty high you know I just don't like it I really don't Um, this big reversal over the past uh, month or so uh, technically it's kind of ravished it Uh, it was very overbought Uh, it's in a continuous down, downtrend. I don't know. I, there's something about it that it doesn't look horrible, but definitely nothing stands out about it. That makes me say, oh, this is in a sector or an industry or something about the financials that, uh, looks particularly attractive to me. It's just kind of ho-hum. So uh, I think you can find better opportunities. So I'm going to pass on LTC. It's a very, very particular about the capital U. Uh, Put out. So if you're going to commit capital, you got to be very uh, confident in the business, both near term and long term. And I'm just not seeing that with LTC. Let's go to John in San Jose looking at Cleveland Cliffs.
2: Love your show. Appreciate it. Try to listen every day.
1: Thank you. So you're looking at Cleveland Cliffs, correct?
2: Correct. CLF.
1: Okay. What are you liking about it?
2: Uh, well, I'm a day trader, and I love it. It goes up and down, up and down like a yo-yo. <laughs> I'm just uh, seeing what you thought about it, maybe longer term.
1: OK, well, it's in the material industry. It's in the steel industry. Very volatile, very cyclical. And I, it's great for day trading, right? You want that volatility. Uh, now, for as a business, it's, its business itself is also very up and down. They made seventy-one cents in twenty seventeen, then three dollars and sixty-three cents in twenty eighteen, then a dollar twelve in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty during the pandemic they only made six cents, then up to five eighty-six in twenty twenty-one, and this year supposed to make three eighty-eight, down thirty-four percent, and then down See, another forty-one percent next year. So look how up that's and down I this like... business is. What was that's that? why I
2: like to call in because I, I don't know how to read all that and uh, that's why I like to call in cuz that gives me a lot of information about the stock.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you, what you have to understand is that you can't really just look at oh what the, what did it earn last year. That's the toughest thing about these type of businesses that are all over the place. Now, I don't love to own businesses like this that are so up and down uh because usually get shaken out because of volatility and what ha- what's happening near term with the business. You know, last quarter revenues were up 26%, but earnings were down 10% year over year. Now, a lot of that had to do with base effects, the fact that earnings were drastically up in uh, the second quarter of 2021. And so that makes it hard uh, from, from a comp perspective. Um, but if you look at its uh, it, let's say this, in the steel industry, we've looked at the steel industry. This is, there's two better ones within the industry. Much better from consistency and profitability, technology, uh, et cetera. Cleveland Cliffs is usually fairly profitable, um, but it's the volatility of it puts it third on our list within the industry. So pretty good. But if you did a little research, there's two also large uh, steel companies uh, that are public that I rather own. Let's just say that. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now for everyone out there, the reason I can't say the other two is the SEC. Uh, I'll give you a quick primer on the, uh, on the rules around this show. Because we are uh, a registered investment advisor, we are governed by the SEC, we are, uh, we are overseen by the SEC from a regulatory standpoint. You'll notice this, we don't bring up particular companies. We're never gonna come and say, oh, let's go talk about IBM. Why? can't do that that can be street as a recommendation but if someone calls like John did asks about a company we can give our opinion about that particular company that's just the SEC rules so when I say there's two better ones than CLF that on our list I can't give you what they are but you can probably go and take a look and look at profitability metrics compare them to Cleveland Cliffs and you'll get a good idea all right thanks for the call Now let's touch on TIPS, Treasury treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And you would think with inflation pretty high that TIPS would be killing it this year. And if you look at the chart, it's not really the case. TIPS tracked by the the Intercontinental Exchange, they have lost 13.2% this year including price changes as well as interest payments. Now compare that to the normal index of treasuries. That was down 13.5%. So slightly better than a broad basket of treasuries, but still not exciting. And a lot of people are probably scratching their heads. Why? Tips, inflation's high. Well, the problem is, once again, is the market is always pricing these things in. And so a year ago, it was pricing in high inflation going out years. But what the market has started to do all this year is price in lower inflation 2023, 2024, etc. And I think right now the break even inflation rate is down to I think it has it here. Was it 2.4% on 5-year tips? Okay. And so if you think inflation is going to be above three, above 2.4% for the next five years, then you're going to make money because you're buying it when the tips have priced in only 2.4% inflation for the next five years. Okay. I think that's a pretty good bet at this point. But a year ago, that wasn't the case. It was much higher, what we call break-even inflation rate. And then on top of that, remember, these are still bonds. And so the tips is affecting the or the the inflation indexing that tips have affects the interest payment as well as the principal you're going to get back at the end. But still you're going to get that principal back years from now. 5, 10, Let's see. What are the, what are the the lengths of years? Yeah. 5, 10 and 30 years. So that's why if you buy a tips ETF, for example, you're going to get a mix of various maturities. So there's still duration risk when you own these tips funds. And so that's why I would say you want to buy the individual bonds. You can hold them maturity. Okay. Whereas if you're buying a bond fund and prices of bonds go down, you have to sell them, you oftentimes are getting out at the wrong time. So that's why TIPS have not been a great investment this year despite the headline of Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, right? Now this is the best talk from Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekdays, help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine chart
2: You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk 888 99 Chart. Hi, Duncan from New York. Uh, looking forward to having you guys always answer my annoying questions. But I have a quick question on this stock ticker BCC. Boise Cascade engages in the manufacture and distribution of engineered wood products and plywood. So I asked about another uh, stock about like housing. And uh, I know someone left a message before talking about whether or not the wood would not be a good time to invest in. But this stock is like part of the housing industry. So I just want to know if this would be a good stock for this time during a downturn in the market. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye.
1: All right, looking at Boise Cascade and if you look based on this year's expected earnings of $20.24 and the current price of $61.07, you're going to say, trying at three times forward looking earnings, that's very cheap problem is earnings are expected to drop 53% next year to $9.51. And pre-pandemic, they're only earning $2 per share. So you're starting to see that reversion to the mean. And frankly, a company and what they do is they produce engineered wood products and plywood. So this goes into a uh, L joints, laminated beams, and just all the different pieces of wood that go into building homes and remodeling homes. And clearly you're, you're, you see a lot of demand right now, uh, but I think it's more backwards looking and it's gonna continue to slow as cash out refinances are basically gone. So nobody's really doing that to remodel their home, at least nobody that you know has, hasn't already started. Uh, and then home builders are certainly going to slow their production. Uh, you already see them unloading homes at 10, 15% discounts than what they were seeing a year ago. Uh, and they've already started to slow their permits. If you look at housing permits, uh, those are, are slowing down. And housing starts continue to go up because they're to, they need to burn through these permits and the land that they bought, et cetera, before you know, prices, frankly, continue lower. Uh, And so I think near term, they're going to do okay. uh, But the chart still looks pretty negative. And I think it's going to be more aversion to the mean. And if it starts to go back to two, three bucks a share, like it was earning pre-pandemic, it's likely to go down much, much more. So I'm passing on Boise Cascade. Now, lastly, let's touch on how the dollar is impacting US manufacturers. And we know that When the dollar goes up, other currencies go down, and that means it's easy, cheaper for U.S. corporations, U.S. individuals to import goods from abroad, makes them cheaper. Our dollar goes further. And the inverse is the case, where exports of U.S. made goods are more expensive, right? Because they need more of their currency to buy our products. And all of this is feeding into industrial profits. RBC capital markets forecast that currency related sales will drop 5.1% at 3M, 3.4% at uh, air conditioning company, Carrier Global, and 2% at GE. And so foreign companies are gaining price advantages over US manufacturers, which is I don't want to say reversing, but hindering the onshoring of manufacturing post-pandemic. Now, Europe is still having probably more trouble. Why? Because the cost of energy, especially in the industrial space, things uh, producing things like aluminum, which are very energy intense, are just uneconomical at the prices over in Europe. So that's one thing that's I think helping our industrial base is is taking some of that uh, that load uh, and. encountering that strong dollar uh, and keeping the momentum of onshoring manufacturing to produce things like semiconductors auto parts loom cans and other things uh, that that still is is continue and I think that's more of a long-term trend uh, whereas we saw a long-term trend starting in really the 90s of offshoring manufacturing we've just started the Beginning, I think of a long trend of onshoring manufacturing, but you're going to have bouts like this where the dollar is strong, and that's no longer uh, you know that 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 struggles to maintain its pace. But if the dollar does get weak, I think it's going to really supercharge our U.S. manufacturing base and that onshoring. So, want to give you a heads up there. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find. Anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And we have passed 46 million mark, thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This invest talk. Good night. Invest
0: talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president, and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.